you are awake. 100%. Finally. What about the FBI? I am the FBI. Well, hello, and welcome to a very satisfying episode of A Damn Fine Podcast, the podcast that is celebrating Twin Peaks with Twin Peaks The Return. I'm Ron Richards, and with me is Tom Merritt. I can't believe I was right. Well, I, uh, I was going to say, well, I want to introduce our guest, uh, Garrett Weinzerl. Garrett, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy Tom is right, because I get to come on this show very happy. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> normally we start the episode where we talk to our guests. We do, we're still going to do that, but for now, we're going to give a slow clap to Mr. Tom Merritt, Thank who, you. who accurately called the return of Dale Cooper in episode 16. Uh, so bravo. Uh, uh, I, I had no inside information. There were no leaks that I read or anything. I don't know if there's any other evidence out there, but this was just a gut feeling, and and it, and I'm I'm not just happy to be right. That's always nice, but I'm really happy to see Cooper. Well, yeah, and and uh, yeah, and we're we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about that because I have yeah, yeah. Mu- much much to discuss. But like, I saw a bunch of a bunch of theories through from last week's episode into the into this week. You know, where people are saying that you know the sockets in the room were number three and fifteen. And that would be Dougie's lifespan yep. and things like that. And it looks like it, that that p- played out. So bravo, yep. Tom, for seeing the signs and picking up on the gut. That's the, I gotta I tip my hat to you, my friend. Feels good. Feels good. All right. So uh, all right. Well, well, so now we're gonna put a pin in that, and we're we're gonna get to know Garrett a little. How you doing, Garrett? <laughs> I'm I'm doing well. I don't. I, we were talking off air before the show. I I do. So I've I recently have have binged your podcast uh, and also have recently binged all of Twin Peaks, having never okay. seen it before. Uh, but I, I I as we were talking before, I I don't understand how you and Tom do this every week. Uh, now now with Game of Thrones in uh, kind of you know <laughs> happening it, right after Twin mix, Peaks. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we're. we're we're recording this right after the finale of Game of Thrones, and my my, my mind has been blown uh, two different times in two wildly different fictions. Tonight. When we when we set out to do this last year, we did not know the Game of Thrones release schedule, and that really put a wrench in the works, didn't it, Tom? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little, a little, <laughs> just a, I mean, not in a, not in a, it's a good problem. It's a high class problem to yeah. say I have two amazing shows I want to watch, uh, but yeah, uh, for the past. For, for the entire Game of Thrones season, we have watched Twin Peaks, recorded Twin Peaks immediately afterwards, and then I go back and watch, and my wife always doesn't wait for me. She's like, no, I'm watching Game of Thrones when it comes out. Sorry. And that's why she's awesome, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but tonight, we because it was the finale of Game of Thrones, uh, if you're, you're used to getting this episode a little earlier, this that would be why. Uh, for people in the regular feed, it's going to come out at the regular time. It always right. comes out. Uh, and if we accidentally have Dougie riding a dragon or something, th- please forgive us. <laughs> so, uh, so Garrett, you are a podcast host and an artist. Um, and you mentioned that you just recently binged Twin Peaks as well as this podcast. Thank you. Um, was that the first time you ever watched Twin Peaks or have you been a fan of David Lynch and Twin Peaks before that? No, I, uh, I I finished the my first watching of the original Twin Peaks. I think maybe a week before the return started. Oh, wow. Okay. So so you're you're, 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 you're yeah no. So you're you're a, a recent fan then. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I wasn't even sure if I was a fan. As a matter of fact, kind interesting. Of, uh, going going into the return, I was I was having to digest all of what happened in the original series. And um, I, I had some traveling going on, so by the time I uh, I kind of got back and and leveled out from my my binge watching, uh, I want to say about six six weeks of the return had already happened. So I had I, I binge watched the first half of the return as well. Oh, okay, geez. So you did a lot of catching up. So what so what do you make of it? Are are, are you a David Lynch fan now? Or I mean, clearly you're here, so you tolerated yeah. it to a certain level, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm my my experience watching the return is is very similar to my experience watching the original series, where kind of the whole the whole time through it, I'm I'm kind of unsure whether I'm I'm really digging it or not. But then by by the end of at least my watch of the of the original series, uh, I had I I realized that I really liked the things that I thought I didn't like about the show and that had really grown on me and that I really cared about uh, some of the characters, some of the denizens of Twin Peaks. um, And uh, and I mean, Cooper was was the first thing as I was watching the original Twin Peaks that uh, I kind of became an instant fan of. I just kind of instantly fell in love with Kyle MacLachlan. 
Well, and and, that, and probably that's that's uh, further magnified by tonight, right? <laughs> oh yes, a- absolutely. Like the, the, the for when we finally see him be proper Cooper this evening, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I realize well, like just how much I really really enjoyed that character. Yeah. And and that is I could say this without reservation today. That is the hole that has been in my heart watching this thing. Is not that in any way the series has been bad or unsatisfying, but uh, my heart was aching for Cooper back because he is the heart and soul of Twin Peaks. And the other fact about Lynch and Frost's team up is that they are brilliant at laying bricks that pay off later. And they've been extra brilliant with Twin Peaks The Return. And that brick (laughs) that finally fell, or the shoe that dropped, whatever metaphor you want to pick, definitely paid off in a huge way tonight that I don't think it would have if he would have showed up in episodes one or two. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the the payoff tonight, and this is why going back to... Uh, the emergence of Dougie and somewhere around episode five or six when the frustrations with Dougie started that I, why I kind of defended Dougie because I was like, mm. you know, I think this is going to pay off. And it, you were right. You were totally right. And, and it, for me, it pay, it's paid off. I mean, I hope everyone else sees it. I mean, Garrett, how did you feel about enduring Dougie for, uh, for what, 12 episodes? I, I think uh, we, the, the watchers, I at least know that uh, my, me and my, my wife, uh, I, th- I think we watching the return, we're, we were all Dougie. I think all of us, if you're, <laughs> you know, as a new Twin Peaks fan, if you're sitting there uh, even remotely having enjoyed the original series, I think you're sitting there kind of in a, a Dougie-like state, kind of mildly enjoying it, but not 100% enjoying it. And then as today, when, when Cooper finally emerges from Dougie, uh, we're we're all a hundred percent into the return now. I think <laughs> I like that. I, I like think. that as a slogan. We we were all Dougie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it was driving me up a wall personally. Yeah. <laughs> I was losing my mind watching Dougie. All right. Well, I can't wait any longer. Do you want to dive right into this, or shall we? Shall we yeah, just get started? It, yeah. Because so so talk about an ep- like we we mentioned payoff with with Cooper and with Dougie, but like revelation after revelation, and with this episode, and I couldn't help but think. I was having dinner with my girlfriend right before this, and she goes, so there are three left. Do you think they're going to wrap this all up? Like, is it is everything going to make sense? I go, you know, I don't know. Like, I hope so, but I, I was skeptical going into tonight. But after, I mean, like, I, it was hard to keep track of all the stuff that was going on in this episode. Yeah, and and it will not all wrap up in a way that makes sense for everyone. I, I, I guarantee you it won't. It never does. Uh, anybody who's seen Mulholland Drive or Wild at Heart or Blue Velvet should know that. But it will wrap up. And we're seeing that. Like, even the smallest example is Jerry, where now we like, <laughs> oh, I get Jerry's arc now. He, yep. he, he's, a, he's a perspective character who is there to witness uh, Richard Horn. He yeah. he may he may play another role, but I'm actually satisfied if like that's that was why Jerry was there. Yeah, exactly. And so as you're mentioning, this, so the episode opens with the with the Lost Highway esque. I love how whenever now mm. in Twin Peaks you see headlights on the road at night, it's Mr. C driving. Like I immediately knew that. You immediately know. Yeah, yeah but uh, Mr. C and Richard Horn driving uh, in his in his badass pickup truck with with an awesome rig of lights above that was pretty cool. Um, driving to <laughs> driving to a spot out in the woods and they get out and Mr. C explains to Richard that uh, three people gave him coordinates and two of them were the same and one of them was different. Which one should I check out? And Richard says the two that are the same and that's where they were. And he hands Richard the GPS tracker and tells him to go up a hill and climb on top of the rock and the GPS will, will beep when he's in the spot. Um, and basically he's using Richard as bait to test to see if that's, I guess that's the right entrance or the right spot. I don't, I don't quite know what it was meant to be, but in either way, it was the wrong one because Richard then gets electrocuted. Um, and as this happens, Jerry Horn stumbles out of the woods and witnesses it, albeit through the wrong end of a a set of binoculars in his stoned addled mind. Um, (laughs) but then, but then after that, we get the 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 answer of the revelation that yep. after Richard Horn gets electrocuted and blows up, uh, Mr. C says goodbye, my son. Yeah, so and that's uh, it. I mean, I mean, again, maybe that's not it for Richard. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he pops back into existence in the lodge and gets used for something else. Uh, but that is the end of an arc for him, uh, where he was essentially held up to us as being something awful, and then he was sacrificed by his father. 
to make sure that to, to save his father. And and that's that's just how awful Mr. C is that he would use his son that way because I immediately when he said I got two coordinates that are the same and one that isn't which one would you go to my answer was you use the one that isn't the same like the the two that are the same are probably the trick they're the trap because most people are against you and I think Mr. C knew that interesting I don't know what I would do Garrett which oh. one would you choose Oh, so, so Tom, you're 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 reading this. Uh, you're reading what happened to Richard as as Mr. C was using him to test to see if it was safe or not. Oh yeah. Okay. I I wasn't I wasn't sure. That was one of my reads. The other was. I mean, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe that that's what happens when someone who is the offspring of a of a doppelganger tries to tries to uh, move through one of the many portals we have seen through this series. Oh, it was like doppel detection. <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. Yeah, but no. I now. The, yeah, no, that's you, a good point. The way you put it is much, much simpler, and uh, it's probably the correct, <laughs> the correct way to read it. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know between the two coordinates versus the one. I would assume the two are corroboration and verification. But I guess yeah, Tom has seen it the way you laid it out. I could see that. But so, so if this wasn't, is this like, is this a entrance just the wrong entrance, or like, so why does it? Or was it a trap that was meant to electrocute Mr. Yeah. C by Philip Jeffries? I feel like it was a trap. Yeah. yeah. And and more than just electrocute, there was some supernatural element that yeah. would detect something. I, I think it could be both, Garrett. I mean, it could detect doppelganger DNA, and Richard, if he's Mr. C's son, would have some of that. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know what to make of that, but yeah. But either way, that's what happened. Uh, we got some Jerry Horn, so that could be the end of Jerry Horn with his damn bad binoculars. Damn binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, then, Mister C. Then before he leaves the area, he sends Diane a text uh, featuring a happy face emoticon and the word "all" period in all caps. And the question I want to pose to both of you gentlemen is. Mr. C using emoticon, that acceptable? Are we okay with that? I wouldn't think Mr. I mean, C it would is use a 90s did. era emoticon, <laughs> not an emoji. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he learned it on news groups, is my guess. Even even his texts are dated. I love it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I there's some. It was uh, it was he made managed to make a, like an emoticon creepy and well, and it, it was an old fashioned with the nose. A lot of people don't bother the nose anymore if they're do, even doing right, an emoticon. True. Yeah. The, uh, the the nose is very old school. Um, yeah. But when I saw that, I was just like, why would he say that? I mean, who knows? what? And we'll find out later on what that did to Diane. But uh, right. I just thought that was an interesting choice. Maybe that's maybe this is, once again, David Lynch's uh, odd take on technology, as we've seen throughout this entire show. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. But um, so then Mr. C gets in the car and drives away. And then we cut back to Vegas, where Chantal and Hutch are parked in their van, staking out Dougie's house. Uh, and that answers the question, who was the second person that Mr. C told them to, uh, uh, to take out? And it turns yeah, out it was, it was Dougie. So he was taking out Dougie. Um, and so as they are staking it out, uh, our favorite FBI agent and his team come, uh, pull up in synch- you know, synchronized cars and, and get out and search the house and realize that they're not there and then, then leave. Um, which, which leaves Hutch and uh, Chantel wondering what's going on. I, I loved this scene so much that it, it, it might just because of be because of the actor playing Hutch, but I was getting the worst Tarantino vibes in the best way. Well, it's Tim, I mean that's no surprise because it's Tim Roth who was in Reservoir Dogs and right. you know mm-hmm. is an old Tarantino cast alum, so yeah, it kind of makes sense. The 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 later scenes as well too at Dougie's house, there was a a it's like a morbid comedy kind of vibe right. I got you, from these you, scenes, right? Right, you have these two, <laughs> these two assassins camped out in a panel van, uh, fighting at each other over the last bag of Cheetos. Right. <laughs> well, she's just always hungry, so that's the problem. They're running out. So. Um, right. But yeah, so then, so so that that leaves them wondering where Dougie is, and that takes us to the hospital where we see Dougie is in a coma, and he's got Janie E and Sonny Jim sitting by his side, and and Bushnell um, uh, Mullins comes in to see if he how he's doing. And then also the Mitchin brothers come with a big, uh, big thing of flowers as well as food for Janie and Sonny Jim. Everyone's concerned at Dougie being in a coma. I did not expect him to. I did not expect the, elect- the electrocution to be this extreme of a reaction. But I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I didn't expect it to be this extreme either. And as soon as I saw it, my heart sank. Yes. I thought I'm wrong. 
We are not getting Cooper this episode. Dougie's going to be in a coma. Me too. Maybe at the end. Maybe yep. at the end we'll see him wake up and then they'll hold it for the next part. But thankfully that's not what happened. But that that definitely set me up to say, ah, here we go again, dragging out Dougie. Yep. Well, I mean, I mean, they did. I mean, this was still, I, I think, kind of to, to spec for the return so far where you're, you're so certain that you're going to get Cooper in. Uh, and, and Lynch still makes us wait half the episode. Well, that, well Especially when they did that scene where they show Gordon surrounded by all the electricity and the beeping. I thought, oh, something else is going to happen here. And that was a fake out. Well, that, well, that, well, no, I don't think that was a fake out. That was the, that was the thing was that it was uh, two thoughts. One was I was also talking to my girlfriend before I watched the show and explaining that we might get what we want or we might get the things that we like, but Lynch never does it in a way that we expect or can predict. That Lynch and Frost operate on a different level than all of us, and you really can't predict it as well as you think you can, right? Um, which, I, which I agree. I think totally happened here. I, Tom, I thought the same thing. When I saw Dougie in the coma, I'm like, oh, great. He's just going to be in a coma until the very end, and then he's going to wake up or something because of the events of other people or things like that. But then the scene after the hospital scene is a shot of in the FBI hotel room headquarters with all the equipment and Gordon Cole just standing there and all the sounds and the beeping and stuff like that. And remember pre the show coming out, even a couple episodes after it aired, Lynch in interviews talking about how important the sound design was in the show. Right. And how and and we've talked about it, Tom, how the audio Mm -hmm. plays such a role in this. And as I was watching Gordon Cole stand there looking at all the all the electronics and the things and the beeping and the things I I picked up on the cadence that it was a similar beat to the to Dougie's life support. Yes. And then, of course, we cut to Dougie's life support. And yes. then in then we we're in the hospital and and Sonny Jim's got to conveniently go to the bathroom and Janie takes him off leaving leaving him with Bushnell and then Bushnell hears a humming later on you know and mm-hmm. and that humming reminded me not only of the humming in the Great Northern but of the humming from D- Gordon Cole's hearing aid. Yes. So I so while they they might it, it might just be nice design or whatever it just feels like they're all linked somehow. No, you know, I, d- it, yeah. I took that all as a fake yeah. out. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, they're showing me the life support beats. They're showing me the tone. This means uh, that something bad's gonna happen. This right. means that that Dougie's not gonna wake up. This means that Gordon has to go to Dougie, and this is the call to him. Got These it. were all the things that I was getting out of these parallels, and of course. I was entirely wrong. Yeah, and yet you're right. You may not have been meant as a fake out, but I definitely took it as one. Right, right. I was having the exact same reaction. I was getting angry at my TV, like, "Oh, great, we're gonna have to wait for them to travel to Vegas, and then that's what's gonna trigger him to wake up." And, and yeah, nope, nope. As 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 has been the case since I started watching all of Twin Peaks, it's never what I expected. <laughs> exactly. See, yeah. So so I just picked it up as like there's a there's a connection through whatever time-space continuum that we're dealing with here. Um, but we don't see it play out. We go back to Dougie's house in Vegas where the FBI truck has pulled up to also stake out Dougie's house. And you've got the FBI truck, you know, two, like three driveways down from Hutch and Chantal. And, that's, and this is the point where I laughed out loud. And I was like, all right, this is, this is getting funny. Right. And then once again, Lynch surprises us with the, the, the he wraps this storyline up in the last way you would expect. Uh, an angry accountant who sh- Hutch and Chantal's driveway he's blocking forces a confrontation that leads to gunfire and a automatic Uzi nine millimeter gun that the accountant carries <laughs> and <laughs> and Hutch and Chantal go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, and don't forget that the Mitchum brothers yes, who, exactly. who have stopped by and, and been really nice and sweet at the hospital are actually there stocking the fridge at Dougie's house. And, of course, they come running out with their guns drawn to see what all the fuss is about. So you think, again, you're getting faked out a little bit. You think maybe they're going to get pulled into this uh, into this firefight, which all started because the van was sort of over the edge of the driveway, right? It was exactly. not blocking the driveway. This is a classic suburban fight of like, you're blocking my driveway. Well, I'm not blocking your driveway. You can totally get into your driveway. And then, of course, take it to the extreme to the end of Chantal and Hutch. So, so, and, and Garrett, you mentioned earlier that Tim Roth gave you that that Tarantino vibe, which this scene definitely does. Oh, I was, absolutely. I was a little taken aback at the extreme violence of this scene. 
I, I was too, but then I was so delighted by the Mitchum brothers commentary. Like when, when James Belushi looks over, it's just kind of bewildered. And, and the other brother just goes, you know, people are just real stressed. Like, I, 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 don't know. I, I will say in, in a similar thought with that, I am coming out of this being a big fan of the Mitchum brothers. Yeah, I, I was not yeah. previously, but like towards the, you know, the turn they've taken ever since they were on the side of Dougie, they've been delightful. <laughs> I've always been Mitchum neutral, but yeah. <laughs> since the pie, yep. I have slowly become Mitchum fans, and this right. sealed it for me. Yeah, I think I started. I think I started liking them when uh, when Rodney was uh, beaten the face with a uh, a remote. Yes, that was good. <laughs> that was the point when I started to really love these characters. Well, because because pre this, we only saw them in a position where they were kind of backed into a corner. You know, like Mr. Yeah. Jackpot had taken had, had won a lot of money from them, and then they had that arson thing going on, and they lost the this whole development thing. And then once you know fortune started favoring them, and we see their true nature, which later in the episode, you know, Cooper confirms as well too. And so like it's an interesting character arc for the Mitchum brothers, I think. That I. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think we saw a little bit about a little bit of that all the way back when uh, Rodney did get beamed in the head with a with a remote because right before that, all we'd really seen was them come into the the casino and be very violent to it. Yeah, ex, tough guys, uh, right? Employee, yeah. and then he gets smacked in the face really hard with a remote, and he doesn't explode at uh, at one of the girls in the pink dresses. I can't remember her name, but. Uh, like he's candy. actually he's still nice to her even though he's bleeding from his cheekbone. Yeah, it's a candy. That's who it was. Um, yeah, no, they're they're, they're and their commentary in this whole scene was funny. My question while watching this is like, so the FBI is just going to watch this? Well, no. Well, they, uh, they, they did. They, they waited they, till it, they, they waited till it ended. Then they got out yeah. and told the guy. <laughs> okay, but let's 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 be honest. Uh, things things take longer in, on television than they would in reality. True. My guess is that those guys. Are are waiting to see how this this unfolds before they get involved. If they just I jump out of their cars and start firing and yelling, they probably escalate it. So I don't know. They're sitting there within a position watching the whole thing. The moment the accountant I, takes the gun out, I feel like they get out and try to stop the situation because they're 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 law enforcement. <laughs> this is it's I'm not. I have, okay. I I don't know. I can I I can argue it your way, but I can very much reasonably argue it the other way of them saying, "Hold on, what's going on? We need to assess this situation first, And it just moved too fast for them. I I, I have another read on the situation. So at first, I'm I'm most I'm more in Ron's camp. I was there was definitely a point when the when the just when the uh, the neighbor was just driving his car and doing a burnout as hard as he could into the van. Van. I feel like most. Anyone That's in law enforcement would have intervened. Yeah, uh, no, you're right. They could have uh, easily gotten but, out that. But, however, however, it was it was Agent Wilson in the car, right, who was left to 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 uh, stake out. Yes, it was. Okay, so I take this as uh, the reason uh, his boss hates him so much. He's just an inept FBI agent. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, and Garrett lives in Florida, where I assume this sort of thing is a regular occurrence. So I'm going to have to defer <laughs> to his judgment. Florida man. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I thought that was funny. I mean, I, I I do not know any FBI agents. I don't know how that works in this kind of situation. But as soon as it was all over, they jumped out. So I assume that they're you know. Yeah. They, you no, know. you know what, Ron? I was totally forgetting about the the part where he's just ramming them. Yes. Which you're right. They should have. They had absolutely had the opportunity to yeah. jump out. I then. feel like the moment he hit the the the, the, with the wheels going, that's when they get out and they yeah. try to settle it down right but yeah no so um all right well with hutch and chantal taken care of we come back to the hotel and uh, the hotel come back to the hospital which i guess <laughs> is kind nice of it's, it's kind of a hotel right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh but yeah so this is where this the tone sound starts humming and that leads bushnell to uh to leave the room and uh we welcome back dale cooper 100 percent yeah so so yeah so so basically i mean just to i mean we all watch it we all know what happened but it's just like he 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 wakes up he pulls the thing out of his mouth he sits up and then we see the man without an arm in the chair and they have a conversation and he says you're you're awake and he says 100 percent and now this is where i want to talk about why colin mclaughlin better win an emmy right because we've seen him as mr c we've seen him as pre-Dougie, we've seen him as post-Dougie, right? When he snaps into Dale Cooper in this, from this point on, his mannerisms change, the way he stands change. Yeah. Every yeah. aspect of Kyle McLaughlin on screen is Dale Cooper. I, I, no, I, I the, could, the could first, not believe it. 
the first expression before he even finished saying a hundred percent, you yep. know, that's Dale Cooper. Yep. Uh, there's, there's no question about it. And that's entirely Kyle McLaughlin. Yes. It, it was, for me, it was just the speed at which he sat up. We, we never saw Dougie mm-hmm. move quickly for anything. And the, and the fact that he just snaps up and just the way he's holding his head mm-hmm. above his shoulders. I was, I was just like, totally. before he even spoke, I was like, yes, he's back. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's just amazing how how you know Cooper speaks with a sense of urgency and efficiency and respect and like all these things that that we know and love Dale Cooper for. That Tom, like you mentioned, has been a hole in our heart throughout these past fifteen episodes. All of a sudden, I swelled with you know like it, it, like I, I, and our our good friend Mallory O'Meara on Twitter the moment it happened tweeted at us saying it's everything's gonna be okay, guys. He's back. <laughs> It just felt right oh, yeah. again, didn't it? No, yeah. it really did. And and it felt like it was worth the wait uh, yes. to, to make it have that kind of impact. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, we, we need to talk about the other things that he said. But well, just, yeah, I know. We need to get the detail. Yeah, exactly. And enjoy that, that feeling because I was typing in all caps and smiling and cheering and having a great time. Yeah. And 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 it happens. And the thing that this is the thing about Frost and Lynch. This is okay. We do need to talk about the detail of the conversation with the man with one arm and what the implications of that are and all that sort of stuff. But the the emotional delivery by Frost and Lynch and their ability to get us not once but twice in in the span of a few minutes is why I think they're just amazing, right? Yeah. Because we get this scene. With him waking up, talking to the man with one arm, going through all this sort of stuff, and then he Bushnell asks him to, you know, to to get his clothes and all this stuff, and then a few minutes later, that's when the Twin Peaks theme song starts and swells and plays for a very long time, yes. and I and I'm in te- and honestly, guys, I'm in tears, <laughs> right? I'm right there with you. Yeah, it was it was a one two punch, like like a delayed one two punch that that yeah yeah it was amazing. There, there were two uh, very, very noticeable uses of original Twin Peaks well, yes, soundtracks yeah, yeah. in this episode that, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. just brought this entire this entire series full circle. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. So let's focus on. So Cooper wakes up. He's talking to the man with one arm in the chair, um, and the man with one arm briefs him that the other one didn't go back in, um, that he's still out there. Uh, and you get to say, I never said Cooper knows what he's talking about. Like he, under, he oh, understands that, this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that that's worth noting right off the top from now on, everything everyone says to Cooper, he knows. Yes. Yeah. He remembers the Mitchum brothers. He remembers Sonny Jim and Janie E. He knows their relationship. He knows everything. He, so, so it what, all soaked in. He just couldn't respond. So, th- but here's the thing though. Is that, oh no, okay, so he has been aware of what's been going on to him, but I was wondering if he was aware of Dougie's existence for the past 20 years, but later in the episode when they leave the hospital yep. and he says, where's the casino? He doesn't know where the casino is. So he, right, do- he, he, so he doesn't have Dougie's, he, this is just him He doesn't being, have Dougie's memories. He's aware it. of Dougie. Yeah. Right. That's a good. That's a fine point. Yes. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't even think about that because I was about to say it seemed like it, over the course of, of many of the the scenes in this episode that he he has memory of what happened while he was in Dougie mode. Yes, exactly. But he doesn't. Well, remember we need, wait, I think we need to, to be. We need anywhere. to. We need to be clear. Dougie mode pre episode three and Dougie mode post episode three. Right. He doesn't remember what Dougie knew before Dougie disappeared. Right. Uh, now, although, the other although, thing- although the although before hold that thought, Tom, when later in the episode when he's kind of saying goodbye to Janie and Sonny Jim and he says how he tries treasure like there's a lot of love there. Is that only from the past twelve episodes, or did he have well, Dougie's where, emotions? Where I was about to go, yeah. I think explains this uh, okay. because the thing after he gets the owl ring from from Mike. Yep. The next thing he wants to know is if Mike has the seed, uh, and that appears to be the gold ball that we had been speculating is that Cooper's soul or something. And Cooper says, I need you to make another one and hands him a piece of his hair. I think he's saying, I need you to make another Dougie because I'm going to have to leave Janie E and Sonny Jim and they deserve their Dougie. Correct. So make me another one because I'm going to put that one back after this is all over. I, I completely got the same thing because when he him giving the man von arm his hair, the gold ball, and then when he says goodbye to Janie and 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 Sonny Jim in the casino later on, which I know we're skipping ahead, um, he says, "I got to go somewhere, but I'll be back, and you're going to get what you you know." Like he's going to go be right by them. 
Well, and he even catches himself. He says, Dougie will be, yeah. and then he yes. catches himself. He yep. says, I will be back. Yep. Um, but man, man, I mean, powerful scene with the man with one arm. Then J- when Janie E and Sonny Jim come in and he's a- awake and animated and like a different, I mean, again, we go back to, wouldn't they notice that he's not acting weird? But I guess they, oh, well, they, and they were, <laughs> but they do. They remark on it. They're yeah. like, "Dad's talking a lot," and the yeah. Mitchum brothers say he's really talking with assurance. Side yeah. effects, like yeah. I like that they they gave you some winks and nods that like, okay, people are noticing a difference here. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention Janie's uh, kind of reluctance to allow him to drive. Yeah. yeah. Yes, <laughs> and then and then the, the realization that he knows how to drive very well. <laughs> um, I I got to say that as he's in when he wakes up and then he sends Janie and Sunny Jim out to go get the car and immediately goes to Bushmill hand me some of those sandwiches I'm starving and then the doctor comes in and is like what's going on he's like and that that whole scene was so fast paced and so Cooper, so Cooper you know you know so asking Cooper. the doctor to confirm that his vitals are a okay and you know, like respectfully was- <laughs> asking to confirm but I know what you're going to find doctor yeah. By the way, that looked like my doctor. That the oh. the, the doctor of this episode, I was kind of freaked out. I'm like, oh my god, that's Doctor Yazdani. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought so. I, I, this was exactly how I would expect Cooper to act if he just woke up on a hospital bed and someone from the Black yeah. Lodge or waiting room or whatever we're calling it uh, tells him that, oh, your doppelganger, a.k.a. Bob, is still out there. Well, no, this is just Cooper. Like, this is Cooper after he got shot in, at the beginning of season yes. two. You know, like, yeah. it's like, thank you, Doc. I'll be, uh, Doc Hayward, I'll be okay. You know, and, and he might, he cringed a little, he winced a little at the wound, but, you know, he's got a job to do, you know. Um, right. and I love that they chose to go that direction, that Frost yes. and Lynch said, you know what, he's going to be Cooper from the moment he wakes up because yep. I was prepared for him to be disoriented like who are you guys oh, okay bring me up to speed but no from the m- moment go he he knows what's happening and that line uh when bushnell mentions the fbi oh yeah. my god so that was good. great well, that, well and, and you're right because because he even like he's in you know he's he's waking up and he says bushnell hand me my clothes they're in the cabinet behind you like he was aware of everything that yeah. was going on and then they cut back and he's getting dressed and and he asked bushnell to give him the gun that he holds in his whole in, the, in like in the cooper tone like the line delivery like comic Glock, like oh, seriously, yeah. so much respect for comic Glock. like he be he is cooper he became cooper again um and you well, know and had tip to frost and Lynch uh, and 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 Frost, I know, does a large share of the writing for for making the dialogue differential too. Yes, yeah. Um, and then so he gets all dressed. He gets he gets uh, Bushnell's gun, which okay, Bushnell carries a gun. Fine, uh, it's Vegas, I guess, right? Um, yeah, right, sure. And then uh, ask Bushnell to call the Mitchum brothers and ask them to gas up their plane. And they say anything for you, Dougie, right? which I just love that they're just now they're just sitting waiting for Dougie. <laughs> like they'll do whatever they can to help. Uh, so and and he says that they need to go to Spokane, which is uh, Spokane, which is in Washington. Um, and then we get the uh, and then this is the moment. This is the this is the gut punch moment. Uh, where Bushnell says the FBI is on his way and he says, I imagine somebody named Gordon Cole will be calling, give him this message and he gives him a, a piece of paper and uh, and then that's the point where Bushnell says, well, what about the FBI? And uh, Cooper turns and says, I am the FBI as oh, the Twin Peaks yeah. theme music starts playing and like I was just a mess on the floor, you know? Oh, yeah. and, and, and not before Cooper tells Bushnell that he's a fine man and that he will remember his kindness and, and you know, like, it gives him a compliment at the same, like, the yeah. uh, whole scene was amazing. Yeah. Just le- wow. legendary return. It's the return. <laughs> this was the return. I mean, it's yeah. not the only return and it won't be the last return, but this, to me, is the return. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, I'm I'm in the same boat. But you're right. That I, I I after the after the credits started rolling, uh, I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, we still get a scene where Cooper goes back to Twin Peaks. Well, well, so you're totally right, and that that is what threw me off because at this moment when the music started swelling. And they're playing the theme song, and we get the I am the FBI. I look at the clock. I'm like, wow, we're 30 minutes in. Like, I'm, yeah. ex- I'm exhausted. There's still half an episode to go, right? And then I was like, and then as the music continues to play, and the music plays the entire car drive, uh, you know, with, uh, you know while, while they're going, and the FBI arriving at the hospital too late, which I thought was funny, right? <laughs> um, you know, and like the music is still going. I'm like, where are they going with this? And of course, what makes the music stop? Diane. Diane. Yep. Just so good. And she's still at that bar, that same bar. Well, there's they're 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 holed up in this hotel there. Um, yeah, so that's yeah, all she, she does. Yep. She hangs out at that bar, smoking and drinking. Yep. And so she uh, she then gets her uh, text message from Mr. C with the smiley face and and all, and it 
and she physically reacts to it. Like, and bravo, Laura Dern. Like, Laura Dern, I mean, we all know how great Laura Dern is, but she shined in this episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was I was so excited about Cooper, and uh, I think it speaks volumes about uh, how how good Laura Dern was was in this in this episode. That I think I have I, I'm walking away from this episode thinking more about everything that happened with her character than anything else in this in this uh, in this entire episode. The the simmering like whatever it is like memory return or what we later find out is what I what I'm guessing is emotional conflict within her um how she Laura Dern portrayed that physically was like from the sh- from the shaking and the shuddering and the deep breaths and all this sort of stuff like it was just I mean the her performance in this from this point onward was just was amazing uh it kept making me think about the uh the conversation of the beginning of the blue rose case when they when they found the woman in the trailer and they uh, and and that woman was conflicted about being uh, the blue rose, yes. right? And and so I, I, we haven't quite got to everything that happens to Diane here, but by the end of this, and we realize that that wasn't really Diane. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like maybe Diane's at the sheriff's station, which I'm curious uh, how that works. But um, maybe that's the woman without a face. It's not Nido. Yeah, Nido. I mean, that. I mean, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but yeah, but that's yeah. yeah well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard not to because yeah, the, the, my, all my thoughts need all of this scene <laughs> to be able to make any sense. Right. Yeah. Well, because well, so, so what happens is that she, you know, she gets the she gets that text message and then starts shuddering and says, "I remember," and 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 mutters "coop" and "oh coop" and "I remember," and then she texts Mister C a string of numbers and says, "I hope this works." Right. Um, so side note, those string of numbers, if plugged into Google maps, not only loads up an area in Washington in the woods, like where Twin Peaks kind of is, but if you zoom out one, if you click one zoom out, there's a location in Google maps for the black lodge. Oh, no kidding. Somebody put it there. Cause these are the same numbers that she was trying to remember before. I assume. I guess I don't I I don't know if, they, if they, it, and or, and those numbers went to a place in Washington. My guess is someone has put a black lodge marker there. Yeah, that's why. So it's just kind of funny in that. And then yeah, yeah. hat tip to Nicole in the uh, in the damn fine patron slack for pointing that uh, out nice, during the episode. Nice yeah, catch, good Nicole. Job, good job, very good. I, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. I, someone put that marker there. That's very funny. It works out very nicely if you type those uh, the numbers in. <laughs> but so now then, so after she does that. She opens up her bag, and we see that she has a gun in her bag. And yeah. then she gets up and proceeds to walk from the bar to the the war room, the FBI room, where, where Gordon, Albert, and uh, uh, Agent Preston are. And I have to give Frost and Lynch kudos for this, because from the moment I saw the gun until the moment the guns got pulled— Every motion I was nervous during. The tension in this span of minutes was more tension, I think, than we've seen in the show as of yet. Well played I, with that Chekhov gun. Right. Yeah, right? It's like a gun, a gun, a lock, a gun in a lockbox or in a, a gun in a room or whatever it was, right? Like, it, it's a simple, you know, filmmaking, you know, theatrical kind of device, but it worked. We've, we've seen people have their faces eaten by monsters in glass boxes. This was the most afraid I have been the entire return. <laughs> right. Uh, it was it was so excellent. That hallway scene where it's just a, a shot of Laura Dern as she's walking through the hotel hallway was it was just incredible. I also the whole time I, that wasn't I wasn't expecting her to just enter the room either. I thought we were going to I thought we were going to see uh, Gordon uh, get shot. Yeah. Uh, a la Cooper in the original series, but we were going to see it instead from the shooter's perspective. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I was nervous the entire time for every, I mean, like the moment she got up, I, I, I think I said out loud, I'm like, oh, don't shoot Gordon. You know, like it was, it just, you felt it. Say so when they, when they cut to Gordon and he, you, you can tell he hears her coming before she even knocks on the door. I, yeah. I don't know. Something about the way David Lynch was just acting through his face. I thought he was kind of accepting his own death. I was freaking out. Yeah. And kudos to them for picking a great song for the walk to the to the hotel room. Like the 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 sound, you know, not you know, just the 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 strong percussion and just like I mean it was, was it was a great song. Was that the same song from when Mr. C was originally introduced? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. Well, this was like the it. this was uh, Money Magnolia's cover of American Woman. 
Okay, so I doubt that was what was the song from the first from the first time we saw Mr. I CD don't recall off the top of my yeah. head, but I, I think it's different. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it, it was definitely gr- got the feel though, Garrett. Yeah, yeah, definitely in terms of the tone or whatnot. Um, but so you know, she arrives at the room and she comes in. She does not shoot anyone, um, and then she sits down and tells uh, Gordon, Albert, and Tammy that uh, she, she want to know what happened the night Cooper came to see her, and she proceeds to tell them in once again an amazing performance by Laura Dern where she explains that um, Cooper just appeared in her apartment and talked to her. She hadn't seen him in so long. She was so happy to see him, and he wanted to know what was going on in the bureau, like he was grilling her. And then um, uh, she starts getting emotionally reactive. You know, she, she explains that you know they kissed, and that only happened once before, but when she kissed, it was felt different, and that he smiled, um, and his face, and she's making hand motions, and that's so that's Bob, right? And then she goes on to reveal that he raped her, and then he took her to an old gas station. Or right? a convenience store, perhaps. Or a convenience store, yeah. So at this point, I'm freaking out. I'm completely freaking yep. out, right? Like, oh, my God. And then um, we find out that he took her into the, the, lo- the Black Lodge, and uh, he sh- and the Diane we see in front of us is not Diane. It is like a Dougie-like uh, manufactured uh, Diane. Because as she's telling this, they pull. She pulls the gun. They pull their guns. They shoot her, and she disappears in a startling moment. Like it was and, like. And, and Tammy explains it for anybody who who didn't follow the previous conversations and previous episodes. That was a real tulpa. <laughs> exactly, and it happens so quickly. And then, and but before Diane leaves. And then again, the physical acting by Laura Dern in this, the, the reaction, you got the sense of the conflict and she sits up straight and she just looks at them as if she's got clarity and she says, I'm in the sheriff's station. And you, and that, that's real Diane getting through the doppelganger or whatever it is, you know, getting a message out, which I don't know how that works. Well, but- and this, this is what reminded me of the Blue Rose case is that the, the doppelganger they found there felt and knew everything of the person she was a doppelganger of and was driven mad by that. And so I believe that the Diane doppelganger has Diane. All doppelgangers have the real person in them, not not the actual person, but they're such copies that they're able to. It's like they've made a clone, right, and cloned memories and feelings. And so this Diane is conflicted because of that. Yeah, well, she. so what's funny is that as she's – as she's telling them that she's in the sheriff's station, she's crying, she's sobbing, and she's saying, I'm not me, I'm not me, and, yeah. her, and her right hand is shaking. And, you know, and I'm then, a blue rose. I'm like a blue rose. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. And then, she goes, and then she goes for the gun, which I guess is a protection element by the manufactured, by the other side of her, right, the duality. And well, I think it's programmed. I yeah, think she's yeah. been programmed by Mr. C to, to kill. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you see for a moment while she's doing this, Albert subtly goes for his gun too, you know, yeah. as if to expect it. And like that. Well, I started to worry, like maybe Diane isn't a Topa and maybe Albert's the bad guy. Well, because <laughs> I've been reading too many. You, I was going to say, you've been reading too many medium posts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fell for it for a second. Yeah. But uh, but yes, yeah, so she wishes away before you know they, the, there's some gunfire and they wish away and then you know Tammy says that was a real tulpa. Um, wow, I mean, I mean, blew my mind. Like I had to like, well, and, yeah. and then and then we get. To, I, I was not expecting us to get to see Diane pop up into the black lodge or the waiting room anyway, right? Uh, and and sizzle out. Uh, so so no more Diane doppelganger. Uh, but in case. Tammy's pronouncement of her as a tulpa uh, was not enough for you. Here you go. Finality. Yeah. Like there she is and she's done. She's off the board, but we now know that the real Diane is in the sheriff's station. And, uh, and, and finally, yes, we can go back to that speculation of who in the sheriff's station is Diane. Right. Well, I mean, it's gotta be Nido, right? It's gotta be the right. I- eyeless woman, right? Diane, Nido, come on. I want to know why she has no eyes. Like, why did why did why did Coop come out of the lodge looking normal? And yeah, I'm, 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 I, have, I still have so many questions. Unless the, did Bob do something to her? Like, I I, I mean, who knows? Who knows? If we'll get answered. But like, well, maybe I could, it was the way she was pulled out because she was pulled out differently than Cooper. 
Oh, that's true. Well, no, but she had no eyes when we first saw her in the room with Cooper. Inside. Yeah, no, you're yeah. Right. Her eye, her mm. eye. Yeah, the she already eyes was were, eyeless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think the eye thing happened before we watched this. You know, Mr. C did something to her. I think yeah, or, right. or Bob, Bob or whomever. Yeah, C Bob, C Bob. There you go. There's a good <laughs> C Bob. Yeah. It's, it's a David Lee Roth song. C Bob, B Bob. Uh, <laughs> I'm also curious if you, uh, if you gentlemen, were as excited as I was about the return to really cheesy special effects. In this episode, I, I did notice that I was like, "Wow, they really, they wow. really dialed it, both, dialed both, it down." <laughs> yeah, both the way like Richard died, where it just looked like they used actual fireworks uh, yep. for the spark effects, which I loved, and then I, I, I loved how just like Photoshop two D cut out uh, Diane's kind of transformation to another golden seed looked. Well, that that's is a, the way things look in the lodge. This is consistency. This is continuity. That's not. It's not that that is uh, an effect. That's a real shot well, of, of how things happen. Well, that could in lodge land. It's true, but the, the but the vortexes that we see out in the real world that kind of seem like uh, similar portals into Black Lodge or Black Lodge type uh, universe. Uh, that there was nothing like that in the original. We just kind of saw Coop just disappear between a couple trees. Well, that, yeah. that, well, that's because well, so, in the in Glastonbury Grove, things work a little different. Well, no, I, I I've got a couple of theories on this. All right, so number one, I think they they have definitely uh, benefited from technology with the series. We already saw you know uh, Mr. C's face morphing into Bob's face and back, you know, like that sort of thing, and the vortexes, you know, that sort of thing. But if you go back to when when Proto Dougie disappeared, he like shrunk down into nothingness, right? Mm-hmm. And where and that was like an actually pretty a pretty like interesting digital effect. Whereas I, I agree, Garrett, that this was a little more on the 1991 budget side of things in terms of how they showed Diane explode. And well, it's similar to what happens to Wendy Merle. Well, yes, it is similar to what, yeah, with the fire blowing out of it. I, yeah. I, I I can see that, but I do think that there's something involved. My this is my own theory, but we all know how when the production started on this, this was going to be nine or ten episodes, right? And David Lynch went back and, and wasn't going to do it because they said, I need to do 18, I need more money, whatever, and Showtime ponied up the money. I think that there's a line somewhere, when we go back and rewatch it, we'll find it, but the emergence of the MC at the Roadhouse in the latter half of the episodes make me think that stuff got added after that point. Like, these are the ideas they came with during the production cycle. And I think that this is an example of the opposite of that is that they ran long on the budget. So they had to scrimp on the effects because they That's were certainly sure. possible. But yeah. they also produced and edited these as a whole. True. So, right. Yeah. But so why did right. we not have why did we not have the MC at the Roadhouse for every music act for the first half of the show of the show? That's weird. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah. But we don't we we have him early and then he goes away for several episodes. Was he in so. the beginning? Was he in the very beginning? Yeah, he was in like part two, I think, or something. Yeah, I just that struck me odd as all of a sudden he emerged, and I was like, oh, that's got to be like a mid, like, like, oh, well, now we can let's have that, let's have him introduce well, the bands. Well, I, I prefer to stay in character in universe, <laughs> and I prefer to believe that just like I, I'm going to take inspiration from the movie Slacker, uh, where the t- where the t- the video guy says he he's disappointed when he sees a real person die because the blood color isn't right. That's yeah. what we're reacting to. We're seeing real footage of. <laughs> <laughs> the Black Lodge, right? And we, you know, we're used to the crazy effects looking uh, good. This is just what it really looks like, unfortunately. All right, all right, I'll concede. I'll take I, that. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I, I prefer prefer this to uh, to the very pretty vortexes that we're seeing out in the uh, out in the real world. I think world. the vortexes are too pretty. The vortexes. <laughs> I think there's. I think they are too pretty. There's. I. I prefer the the very. It, there's something deeply unsettling about the, the hokey '90s special effects. Uh, I, I agree. I think that I think that it was unsettling even in 1991. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and so I, I, I like it. I like it as a tool to be used. So yeah, I do like that. Uh, that Diane stays in character when <laughs> yep. when Mike says someone manufactured you. Yeah, says I know. Fuck you. Well, which is funny. Which then makes you have to think that was that. Di- I mean, that wasn't Diane. You know what I mean? Like, no, but, uh, but we the d- doppelganger. This goes back to doppelgangers have the essence, right? Right. Yeah. And that is the essence of Diane. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And that gold ball comes out of Diane, so we now have Diane Makins. Well, that that was my other point. So now she he's got a gold. So now the one armed man has a gold ball of Cooper slash Dougie, and now he's got a gold ball of Diane. As far as I can tell, they're identical. Does the one armed man have some sort of gold ball classification or organization <laughs> system? You know, like how, how does he very know? Good point. Yeah, is it? Does he have a little? Does he have a little kit? And there's a little label that says Diane, and he drops it in the box or something. I don't know. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> um, I, I, I don't want Janie E. and Sonny Jim to end up with Diane as, as their father. Accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, wrong gold ball. Sorry. Um, well, I would so, assume you can't make, like, the reason he had to pull out his hair is you can't make a proper doppelganger without a little piece of the original. So without an element, that would yeah. be a, a safeguard against that. Yeah, hopefully. maybe. Well, so speaking of Janie and Sonny Jim, uh, we go back to Vegas to the casino where we get a very heartfelt uh, goodbye as. Uh, Cooper slash Dougie says goodbye to Janie and Sonny Jim and, and assures them he's got to go away, but uh, Dougie or he'll be back. Um, I so love that they went this road because it is so Cooper. Yep. It's more Cooper than I would have even expected to not be confused, to not be charitably asking them, so so I've been with you? No, to just know like, hey, and you know what you guys need? You need reassurance right now. So I'm going to take you over here to the side. Yep. I'm going to let you know things are going to be okay. Oh, one little slip up when I say Dougie instead of me, but come on, it's going to be me for for you know all intents and purposes. Yep. Uh, don't you guys worry. And and Janie E knows. She, well, she knows that he's not Dougie. But she believes him. Well, I, I, I also I also think Sonny Jim knows too. Yeah, yeah, he kind of seems to know too, doesn't he? Yeah, like well, they got to tell that he's di- that he's different and and mm-hmm. and be afraid of something that's coming. But they pick up and Sonny Jim saying, you know, and and it's almost like a split between I know you're not him, but I want you to be him. You know, that's which, what I read from from Sonny Jim, definitely. Right, yeah. like I want you to be my father versus you know, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want Cooper to be their father? Oh, oh my God. God, he's the best. Um, but yeah, and then and Janie gets in one last uh, kiss, so uh, that was that that was a nice moment as well too. Um, well done, Naomi Watts. And then he gets in the Mitchum Brothers limo with with Candy and the other girls, and they go down the strip, and they've got a, a glass of coffee waiting for them. <laughs> And and they we then have to wait for uh, Jim Belushi to get his Bloody Mary, yeah. which I thought was great too. Like yeah, just yeah. like that. And then I guess Cooper explained to them what's going on because they knew. Like even though they don't believe it, but they they recap it. You're 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 not an insurance agent. You're an FBI agent. You've been missing for 25 years, and we need to get you to a town called Twin Peaks. And Cooper's like, yep. <laughs> Which I'm I, so excited for the last two parts, and I'm so angry that there are only two more parts. Yeah, I know. Um, but I, I, I did like how you know they, he says that he's they, they've got to get to the sheriff station in Twin Peaks, and the Mitchum brothers yeah. are hesitant. And uh, that's when Cooper says, "And your your heart, your, you both have hearts of gold, and that will prove you know again very Cooperism, you know, by seeing the good in people." Yeah. And I like their their almost cartoonish gangster response of like, because uh, we ain't so uh, good with the law enforcement types, yep. if you know what I mean. And the, and the smiles <laughs> all around and then Jim Belushi putting his arm around Cooper and his shoulder on his brother. And like and like it, it just like it was great. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, and then now it wouldn't be Twin Peaks if we don't get left with questions right we're getting a lot of answers in this episode um but here's the question portion we go back to the roadhouse and the uh mc is on the stage where he introduces um not eddie vetter but yeah. edward lewis severson <laughs> the third yeah the beautiful thing is that not only did they an- announce him by his actual name yeah. instead of eddie vetter but he is credited if, I don't know if you noticed this in the in the in the credits. He is credited as Eddie Vedder playing the part of Edward Lewis Severson III. <laughs> Very well I done. I did notice that, and I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here we are in part sixteen. We get Eddie Vedder, um, who we knew was coming at some point, uh, and he plays the song "Out of Sand." Uh, and uh, you know, we get a lot of when you got Eddie Vedder, you let him play, right? Um, yeah. And I, I was like, oh, well, we're, and then at this point, I looked at the clock, and I'm like, all right, well, we're like. 48 minutes, you know, 49 minutes into the show, it's clearly not over, right? Um, but that doesn't stop us from getting several minutes of Eddie Vedder singing, uh, and that is all. And, and so at this point, at this point, I feel like, oh, I'll keep one eye on it, yeah, and I'll go feed the dogs so that I don't have to have too oh, much time Tom. between this and Game of Thrones. Tom, rookie I, move. I mean, no, 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 no. I I did it right because I'm like I'm not stupid. I kept an eye on it. And I'm feeding the dogs, and right as I, I'm like letting them start to eat, I see Audrey pop up on the screen. I'm like, oh crap! And I yep. run back over and sit down. <laughs> so, so Eddie Vedder is just prelude to Audrey and Charlie arriving at the roadhouse. Um, Audrey looking very uh, kind of tentative and nervous. And uh, they go to the bar, and Charlie orders them martinis. And uh, they get spotted. Some people move away. They can sit down at the bar. They let Eddie Vedder finish. They get their martinis, and Charlie wants to toast to them, but she wants to toast to Billy. 
And then at that point, uh, as Garrett mentioned earlier, we get the, not the, the second reference to the original soundtrack of Twin Peaks where the MC introduces Audrey's dance and the band proceeds to play that fantastic jazzy Audrey's, Audrey's theme from the original series. And at that point, I, like, I screamed. Uh, it was, well, and, and here's the thing. When the floor clears, you yeah. should know something's up, yep. right? But it's Twin Peaks. So you're like, I don't know. We had a whole like musical number with Lucy and everybody. It's easy to do. So maybe this is yeah. just going to be a thing that happens. Yeah, maybe this I, is a thing that always happens. And whenever Audrey yeah. goes to the Roadhouse, they play her song right. and she dances and everyone lets her, you know? like <laughs> Yeah, and it's just the thing in Twin Peaks. Everybody knows. Oh, you let Audrey dance. Yep. <laughs> that is the type of viewer that Twin Peaks has has made us. Because that's having gone, having gone through it so fast, I just, I, I kept, I kept feeling like I was just giving up like my, my, Pre, pre-knowledge of any other television show I have ever watched and how I should react to it. Uh, and right? so when this scene happened, when the, when the floor clears, I'm just like, yeah, that's, that must be what happens at the roadhouse now. Right. Well, it's, it's so funny, the, the range of emotions I had through this scene, because at first it was... I said, I, 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 this is a rare episode where my girlfriend actually chose to watch with me. You know, normally she, mm-hmm. she goes, okay, you go after what you want to do. And so when Audrey walked in the roadhouse while Eddie Vedder's playing, I said to her, oh, okay, this answers it. Audrey's real. Like, uh, the, the, the same thing. She's not in a coma or there's nothing going on. This is all really happening, right? And so then, then they start playing the song and I reacted to the first opening bars of the song. But there's a moment when... Um, the they announce Audrey's song before the crowd clears, where Audrey reacts, where she hears this, and Charlie kind of reacts as well too, and she looks at him, and for a moment, I'm like, oh, did Charlie arrange for this? Like, is this some sort of romantic gesture mm. as her husband? You know, um, and you know, but he kind of looks surprised, and she looks at him. Then the crowd started clearing the floor, and she starts dancing alone. And there's a moment, there's a shot where she's dancing. And the entire crowd, there's there's risers, and they stand up three people high, right? So it's like a wall of people, and they're all swaying left and right in in coordination. And I'm just laughing because I was like, oh, what, like what a weird, whimsical, jazzy Twin Peaks moment, right? Like it's yeah. just so wonderful. Um, and then it gets interrupted by someone bursting in, uh, saying, "That's my wife," and then getting into a fight, a bar fight as you expect to happen at the Roadhouse, very similar to what happened with James, right? Um, and Audrey runs over to Charlie and says, get me out of here, grabbing him, and it's a close-up of Audrey's face, and we cut to Audrey looking at herself in a mirror and, like, a whitish background, and she's wearing mm-hmm. different clothes. And different she, hair, too. Different hair, no makeup, like, she, you know, and then she's shaking, and then we, we cut the black. Yeah. And so, then, uh, uh, don't forget that uh, this lends credence to your idea that you're you're supposed to think maybe Charlie set this up because he says, here's to us, Audrey, and she keeps with the here's to Billy yep. uh, part of this. And a lot of people have been thinking maybe the whole Billy thing is an alternate reality or a side story. It may be that the whole Billy thing is happening in Audrey's head. Uh, and this is the, the, the room in which she has been isolated. And when she tells Charlie to get her out of there and she flashes to the mirror for a moment, she's actually aware of where she really is. Right. So then, so then several questions from that. Okay. Does Eddie Vedder exist only in Audrey's head? (laughs) Apparently Edward Lewis Severson only exists in Audrey's head. Does the nine inch nails only exist in Audrey's head? (laughs) Well, no, that's the question, right? How much of the roadhouse is just in Audrey's head? Well, that, that was my other question was all all the, all the, 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 the booth drama that we were seeing in every episode was that all in Audrey's head. But what about the, what about the one with Richard Horn and Chad, but maybe that's in her head because she knows he's just said, you know, like so many questions. (laughs) I think James singing is plausible to be happening in the real world. (laughs) And and Nine Inch Nails and Eddie Vedder are less likely. All of to be our all of our named uh, bands yeah. were were just in Audrey's head. She's just a big fan of. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is her soundtrack. This, this this explains the amazing Booker at the Roadhouse. Right? It's actually Audrey, right? 
I love it. Oh man, this does raise oh, does but raise a lot I, of questions. I, I think it's interesting that the fight that's that that snaps her snaps her, you know, to run to Charlie is similar to the fight that we saw happen with James last week, you know, like where it was somebody mm-hmm. objecting to another guy advancing on his wife, you know, which is kind of a common thing, but it just I felt like a a, a symmetry there, you know, or you know, so I, I don't I don't know what to make of it, man. And of course, the close-up on Audrey looking in the mirror is so close. I looked at this frame. I don't know. You can't tell where she is. I it's can't just tell. White. Yeah, is she in a in a hospital? Is she in a bedroom? Is she in the lodge? Like you can't tell. So, oh man. <laughs> and so it it cuts to black, and then we go back to the band, and we get Audrey's theme through the credits. Uh, and jeez, oh, wasn't it so huge episode? So to recap, right? Confirmation: Richard Horn was sired by Mister C. Yes. Okay. Um, Cooper returns. Diane was yes. a Diane is a manufactured doppelganger. Diangle ganger. Diangle ganger, and she's in the sheriff station. <laughs> Diane is probably Nido. That's the, the right. right right now. Makes and, sense. Um, Cooper's on the way back to Twin Peaks. Thank God. And we don't know where Audrey is still. Is that everything? Yeah. Anything else? And, but but Audrey and Charlie were not what they seemed yes they, they, we, we, we it's still to be determined we don't know what's going right. on there i don't know what they are but they weren't reality <laughs> well I, I i guess i don't i don't know I, what is reality tom well true <laughs> so true so many questions answered yet we leave more confused about audrey than when we showed up no. garrett you really hit the jackpot by coming on this episode yeah, no I kidding. did. I feel. I feel. I'm. I'm not worthy. As no, a, no. As a relatively it's, uh, newcomer to Twin Peaks. I think uh, we, I feel we we spoiled by getting to come on to the first episode after the return of Cooper. We need to welcome all fans, and whether new or old, as you get a seat at the table, you're. It's all. There's no. There's no hierarchy here. So you're the good luck charm. Yeah. We booked you. Cooper came back. Yeah. See, there it is. <laughs> Cause effect. All right. Well, we're gonna quickly go through a couple of your emails. Uh, you can email us at feedback at damnfinepodcast with any observations or thoughts you have. And we have two good ones I want to share with this week. First one's from Rob, who says, I was considering your thoughts over the past weeks regarding what kind of a new genre this series of Twin Peaks could be. I came up with the term variety drama, which I've since discovered is a relatively new term already, though I honestly never heard it used before. What I define it as, based on David Lynch has given us, is a variety show. Same general concept as Saturday Night Live or any variety type program, especially from the heyday of shows in the 60s or 70s, but with a dramatic storyline, of course. In the case of Twin Peaks, we're giving a series of drama performances each week, some regular acts that return weekly and some that are more unique, such as the ongoing Roadhouse booth sketches. And like SNL or those variety shows of old, we even get weekly musical acts. Whereas the traditional variety show is meant to entertain with music and comedy, for the most part, variety drama is enclosed in an ongoing story, obviously. There's no mandatory linkage from one scene to the next, and no apparent rhyme or reason as we bounce between each sketch, but everything on the show stage is connected by the universe in which it's set. I haven't found a proper definition for whatever others consider variety drama to mean, so until then, I'm sticking with my own. Uh, so uh, what, what do we make of this? Yeah, I think this is. Uh, I think this nails it. I think this is variety drama. I, I think the scenes that we're seeing that we think are disconnected are going to be connected a little more, like Jerry, for instance. Yep. But they aren't essential, which adds to that variety element. And so there's a lot of experimental shows being done like this stuff that's on Hulu or on Netflix, where they're going to say, oh, we're going to we're going to talk about people in four different storylines that are all related to an object or an event or something like that. So I think you're going to see more of this, this type of drama. And I think Twin Peaks, the return, and in fact, Twin Peaks, the original, even more so in some ways is a, an example of that. Well, if we, if we been, uh, after you Garrett. I, I found this really fascinating because I've been trying to put Twin Peaks in a box ever since I, uh, I watched the first episode a few months ago and, and then barreled through all of this. And, and I don't know, but this, that's certainly the most accurate description of Twin Peaks I think I have heard so far. Well, it, well, I, I, what I find interesting is that like we know that the original Twin Peaks was done w- from Frost and Lynch's appreciation of soap operas and mm-hmm. that kind of style of storytelling, and we also know that you know that David Lynch is very fond of things in the past like Sunset Boulevard and the noir films of the '40s and '50s and things like that. So maybe this is another channeling of that concept. I mean, I don't know if he would specifically say it because I do think that everything we've seen will come to come to uh will you know will come to fruition or come to have a have a relevance um but uh it's a neat theory so i'll take it i, I like a variety well, drama and, and and 
speaking to your uh, Lynch's appreciation of, of of the classic movie scene, that that scene where Janie E plants one on yes. Cooper is definitely pulled right out of the 1940s. And what's fun what's funny is that I was thinking about that scene and how that would have been a great scene for any of the romantic themes from Twin Peaks, except. It's she's not in, from Twin Peaks, so that's why yeah. the music was not Twin Peaks. You know the original Twin Peaks themes, um, because she's outside of that world. And so yes, they had different music, but it wasn't the iconic Loris theme or the, whatever whatever we channeled with romance. You know from Twin Peaks. Uh, so yeah, Lynch and Frost pay attention to these details, so I wouldn't put it past them. Um, and then finally, our last email is where I mea culpa and I, I have some egg on my face. Uh, Brent uh, pointed out, he says, quick thought, you were discussing the music at the Roadhouse recently and noted that Eddie Vedder must be the ace card for, fin- for the finale. Uh, and he says, very well, could be, I'd agree. And this is written before the tonight's episode. So, you know, he says, I believe that Julie Cruz is slated for a return at some point. I don't know that a Twin Peaks fan could ask for a more perfect ending than Ju- Julie Cruz crooning away in the Roadhouse to close things down. Perhaps a new song, but falling is a safe bet as well, especially for reliving just you. Um, and and yeah. yes, after I said Eddie Vedder was a lock for the uh, finale, I forgot that Julie. I uh, for some reason I either missed or I blanked it out, but I didn't think that Julie Cruz was on the initial cast list that was released, and she was. So I missed that. That was pointed out to me by many many people, including well, a lot of the, the patrons and things like that. But <laughs> hold on, hold on, before you're too hard on yourself, Ron. Okay, uh, Julie Cruz has been listed in the cast already this year because True. they have used old soundtrack music. So you could be excused for believing that that was like, Oh, well that's the reason she's in the cast list. It's not because she's going to come back. Also, I was willing to give you part 17, Eddie Vedder part 18, Julie Cruz, even if that was the way it played out. Cause we have two more parts coming at once next week. And yet here, here we are. Eddie Vedder uh, is already, is already off the table unless he's coming back for a second performance. Listen, Tom, when I when, when I'm, when I'm eventually on trial, Tom, I want you to defend me. <laughs> I'll try to get a law license by then. Thanks. Don't do anything do. soon. <laughs> we've had uh, we've had the chromatics on twice already, haven't we? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We have had repeat uh, repeat performers. Yeah. They're all coming back for the finale. That's what it's going to be. Julie Cruz in part seventeen, and then part eighteen is every single performer. So, so part eighteen is just a a full set of bands at the Roadhouse. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> and Audrey is uh, out of wherever the white room, and she's really at the Roadhouse this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you have any questions or observations or theories or corrections, we're running out of time, folks. Email us at feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. Uh, we've got one week more speculation before it's all over. Jesus. Unbelievable. Um, Garrett, thank you so much for joining us here on this penultimate uh, night. Uh, leading into Twin Peaks finale. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, all of the podcasts that I do can be found at amove.tv, which is uh, just A-M-O-V-E dot TV. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the club. Welcome, welcome to the Twin Peaks fan, the <laughs> thank, Twin Peaks fan club. <laughs> thank you for having me. I, I am still so confused. <laughs> As you should be. Not all of us are. <laughs> no one knows Listen, what's going I, on. <laughs> I, Garrett, Garrett's being a little too nice about his podcast. Uh, he does a bunch of them. They're really good, especially if you're into video games. And if you play Hearthstone particularly, check out The Angry Chicken, uh, which is the only reason that I am able to win any games at all on the Hearthstone ladder is listening to those guys and picking up the, the hot new tips on decks and cards. So check that out at TAC Podcast as well. Well, thank you, Tom. Lovely, lovely pip. Tom is not only a great lawyer, but he's also a good PR agent. <laughs> I'm the hype man. I'm a lawyer. That's <laughs> amazing. All right. Well, so hopefully you've enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash damnfinepodcast. There's still time to sign up there to help support us, uh, to pay for our server bills and things like that. Uh, but also, if you sign up at the $5 or more level, you get to join in on the patron slack, which, by the way, is on fire. Uh, it's the yeah. highlight of my day through the week to see all the theories and discussions and things like that. So uh, definitely sign up at patreon.com slash damnfinepodcast to get into the slack um and that's gonna wrap it up for man episode 16 done it in the books stay tuned next week we will be covering part 17 titled the past dictates the future and part 18 what is your name just with that i have chills i'm nervous i had not read those yet and i just read them for the first time and now i have chills uh so thanks gary for joining us until next time i'm ron i'm tom 